Welcome back to Now, the podcast celebrating a variously compiled world of pop. In each episode, a variety of fabulous guests and I explore favourite compilation albums, as well as considering how these collections shaped pop culture and now fondly stand as time captures for our own musical and life milestones. I hope that you will enjoy the pop memories in this episode. Please follow the show through your favourite podcast provider and join in with me, Ian, on the Pop Rambler Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Joining me for this episode is Niall McMurray. Niall describes himself as a pop enthusiast from Scotland. He spent many happy years working in record shops before becoming the editor of Brighton's groundbreaking LGBT plus newspaper 180 News, subsequently going on to an entirely unsuccessful freelance career, which did at least yield a memorable guided meditation written for RuPaul's Drag Race contestant Kennedy Davenport. He's also the creator of the quite liked and occasionally missed blog Into the Pop Void, which focused on amazing songs that never cracked the UK top 40. And his proudest moment is having his wedding disco played in a Berlin sex shop, raising, in his words, the very real possibility that someone chose a gimp mask while listening to Tracy Ullman. Niall, welcome back to now. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute honour to be here. First of all, uh, I'm just going to cut straight to the chase. Let's talk ABBA Voyage. Oh, boy. I have. I don't know if you've recovered yet. I haven't. Emotionally, I don't think I will ever quite get over it. You know how when you've got really high expectations of something and you've been around so long that your cynicism just won't let you get past it? Everything was just blown out of the water um, yep. within 30 seconds for me. That ABBA made the quantum leap in terms of technology and brought this to us and it's so spectacular it felt like I, when i was seven my parents um, would not let me go to see abbott in glasgow in 1979 I, mean, I was too young and they were quite right but i think that's how in my head as a boy that what a concert would be like and you're always disappointed in something but not a thing disappointed me at voyage i would go every week if i could it should be on the nhs it's the happiest place on earth, honestly. Don't worry, listeners, there's not going to be any spoilers here if you have not no, been. No, uh, but we will not spoil the magic of Abba Voyage. I think for me, the one thing that I got from it was the warmth and the feeling of community in this custom-built theatre. Everybody uh-huh. was there for this purpose and everybody was bringing their own memories of Abba to this evening. They were, and... and- Every single type of person was there and every age group of person, like sitting next to me was a young girl who knew all the words to everything. She couldn't have been more than 12. Um, It was just brilliant. And everybody had made an effort. Like we, there was four of us, we had dressed in um, the Eagle video. They're all wearing animal print things. So I sourced some T-shirts for us. So I was Agneta um, wearing the bunny. Um, and we had all of the other ones as well, and we, we looked fantastic, I have to say. Um, so I'm already thinking about what we can do for, for the next outing. Um, I'm thinking possibly the blue stripy leotard sort of effect from the, the 1979 tour. Don't know how that'll look on a 50-year-old man, but we're going to find out. Also as well, we touched on the Interpop Void blog. When did it begin to kind of wind down? God, it was nearly five years ago, would you believe? I like to say that it's on hiatus. On a hiatus. In the same way that the Saturdays are still on hiatus. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's probably no real expectation of it coming back anytime soon, but I do harbour dreams of it. I didn't run out of songs, as it were. I kind of, I don't know, I just started to feel that I'd done all the amazing ones and it was sort of, I don't know. At that point, I quite liked the idea of just leaving it for a bit and 
and it still gets loads of views every day. It will crop up again in one way or another, but it's nice that so many people loved it and it only ever started as a way to occupy my time between jobs and it kind of snowballed out of all control and I ended up having other people writing for it and Pete Pafides was a big help because he tweeted about it early on and he ended up writing for it and then I went on his radio show. So it became this thing for like a good four years, five years. And um, it was an absolute joy. And I, I still get messages from people saying, oh my God, I love that song. So it's it's um, it's a lovely thing that's out there. One day there'll just be a surprise Beyonce-style drop of a bizarre song from somebody like Olivia Newton-John who has quite a few hits that never were desperately sad and it's sent me back to some of her stuff so who knows it'll pop up again one day it was wonderful revisiting and actually i suppose a bit like the saturdays it had drifted from my consciousness briefly yes uh uh-huh it just touches on i suppose something that we like to kind of talk about on this podcast as well is is the way in this country we love carrying flags for specific songs and often these now albums are scattered with the kind of would-be hits or ones that perhaps didn't last the course and um yes and I think that's the kind of beauty of the pop void as well. Uh-huh. And I, I do have a list of songs that I would have put on a now compilation in an alternate universe where they were. Oh, where excellent. They were hits. Uh-huh. So oh, we'll excellent. So, yeah. Run through that- a few of those later. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Um, the premise being that we pick a compilation album, the Now series. Other compilations are available, but not often as good. And we the hits album. Well, actually, which which I think we'll come to today because there was a hits album still just running around this time. <laughs> um, but uh, before we come to your album, let's talk a bit about growing up. What was the influences on the young Nile? How did you come well, into this wonderful pop world? Um, it wasn't probably from any help from my parents. They weren't desperately into pop. The only records I remember them having were Great Sits of Simon and Garfunkel, loved. A Beatles album, they had Sgt Pepper, wasn't fussed. They had Rolled Gold by the Rolling Stones, which is a compilation. I think they got it from the Beatles Digest. Wasn't fussed about that either. First album they bought for me was Tales of Beatrix Potter, as read by Wendy Craig, which I loved. She never made a follow-up, sadly. Um, And then the first thing that I remember loving that I really adored was ABBA. ABBA just spoke to me instantly. And then Bucks Fizz kind of took their place in 1980 at Eurovision. And didn't last but I was obsessed with them I had everything the first LP had a it was gatefold sleeve and it had life-size pictures of their heads a bit like Night Flight to Venus had um Bode M except yeah. about the spangly um sewing caps and I used to put that in my window of my bedroom because I thought the neighborhood kids would think I had Bucks Fizz around for tea that's that's how obsessed I was but I mean I think Radio 2 was the other big influence on my life so when I was little, everything on Radio 2 seemed new to me. It was probably actually quite old at the time. It was Jimmy Young and mm. all that. And all the songs I sort of remember from around then come with this sort of visual image of my mum's legs and kitchen drawers because I was like on the floor and that was my view looking up. If I hear a song like um, Northern Lights by Renaissance, that's, I'm instantly back on the kitchen floor. So yeah, so um, pop, it was, it was obviously Abba Bucks Fizz, Top of the Pops. As later on growing up, the chart show, which is a huge influence on me, just it was chart show Saturday mornings. That is where you got all your new stuff from and what was coming next week and a little sneak preview of the top 10, even though it wasn't the proper top 10. But yeah, that, that, those were all my obsessions. 
Yeah. It's an interesting yin and yang, the Top of the Pops and Chart Show, because a lot of guests have come on, and we always talk very fondly about Top of the Pops, but actually there's a lot of love for the Chart Show because it was it was, it was was that ITV version. Do you remember the Roxy as well? I do remember the Roxy. That was only on for like two years, oh, wasn't it? It was, it, was, it was on very, very briefly, and this was going to be the big flagship show. And they kept changing the format, and they kept changing mm-hmm. the presenters, typical ITV. presented it? I can't remember. Oh, I think there's a few. I think well, I think the first was uh, was David Kid Jensen. I think he was the first because he was he was headlining up the network chart. He's rather pushing the kids' point. But I do always remember the, there was a revamp and they got Stokey and Waterman into the soundtrack, you know, the theme tune, and it was Bananarama. Oh, And it was, it's, it's still, you can get it, you can find it online. It's mm-hmm. called Amnesia. But it was oh, just, God, yeah, I remember that. It was on the B side of a Banana Rana single, wasn't it? I think it was the B side of Want You Back. I yeah. Think, you know what? If they'd just given it a bit longer, you know, it might have, might have worked. But, uh-huh. but yeah, ITV have never really, I think, I think the chart show was probably still the best thing they've ever done on ITV. Oh, God, completely. And even on, on the, on, on Into the Pot Void, there's a little gif of the, the rocket above mm. the top 10. That's lifted directly from the chart show. I saw that, that and I thought, I love that, I really did, to be honest. So so what about compilation albums? Were these, were these on your shopping lists growing up? Well, they were. And, and my parents weren't exactly snobs, but I would put, like, the Hits album were now on my Christmas list every year, and they would never buy me one. I don't know if they thought they had a whiff of ITV or something about them, but somehow I only ever got proper albums. So compilation albums were very much things I had, had to get with my own pocket money or put on um, when we went to other people's houses. Or, for some reason, we had a record player in our um, school music room with loads of um, Now albums in it, so we'd go and listen to them at lunchtime as well. At that point in time, it was, I ended up, I had everything on tape, so um, I was late to the compact disc boom. <laughs> so, there's a brilliant photograph of a friend of mine in my childhood bedroom, and all my tapes are just lined up. I don't know what it was. Why did we all... Was it just the compactness of them? Was it, I don't know, because the sound quality wasn't great. No, they were terrible, and half the time they get caught in the machine. But I'll tell you what I did like. I liked the Now ones because they had that special double cassette box. Yeah. And they were sort of fun and chunky and really tactile. Maybe that was the tactileness. Oh, what? maybe. Maybe it was <laughs> holding the music in your hand. I'm sure uh-huh. that's <laughs> a line of some description. Although now... Being a midlife crisis sort of age, I've gone and bought a record player and I'm buying everything back on vinyl now. So oh, that's yeah. my absolutely midlife crisis is go. That's crisis go. That's probably the best one to have. It's better than a motorbike, I think. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. We're going to move to the spring of 1991. Oh. What was life like for you, Niall, in 1991? Well, it was a time of change, Ian. I was um, 18. Spring of 91, I was just in the tail end of my second term at Glasgow University. So I had six months left home, um, living in halls of residence, living sort of semi-independently, I suppose. Um, I was studying English literature and medieval history at uni. Boy, did those come in handy. Um, I was working in the evenings there or thereabouts in Club Exchange in Royal Exchange Square in Glasgow. And basically, we were just going out at weekends and going out on student nights on a Monday to the tunnel and uh, for me it's a mixture of study and clubbing although I'm not it's like pop clubbing not like clubbing clubbing and being out in the world and it was a really exciting time it's such a shame that looking back at the music of 1991 that it was soundtracked by largely awful tracks (laughs) 
um, but my memories of it are, are, are brilliant. So um, it was a really um, exciting time and um, I had loads of hair um, and I do miss that. But, you know, those days have gone. It's actually great here you're listening to all about Glasgow because I also went to uni in Glasgow and <laughs> um, we are of a similar vintage and uh, <laughs> the tunnel was my Thursday night. Ah. Uh, we used to come down on a Thursday night with limited funds and blag our way in. I do remember thinking, God, I'm, I'm dead cool now. And I so was not. I mean, I'm six foot two. I can, I love music, but I'm, I'm sort of jerking around rhythmically on the dance floor and trying to keep time. I was never a big proper clubber, but it was, it was liberating. And I still love getting on the dance floor now, even though I'm terrible at it. Glasgow was a good city for clubbing, though. Um, it was. Uh huh. I mean, was... I don't know if you spent much time going out in Edinburgh. Um, well, no, I've I've kind of shifted across the central belt. Oh, this is very Scotland centric. This episode, isn't it? Like we knew it was going to happen. Uh, anyway, yeah, <laughs> um, I've kind of drifted across the central belt. Um, and again, you know, for listeners who who don't know Scotland too well, for such a small country, there's great diversity between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, but when yes. I did eventually get to Edinburgh, yeah, it's not. Oh, crikey, we're going to get all sorts of complaints. It's not a great <laughs> clubbing city. No, I used to go to one called the Blue Oyster Club on Rose Street before we went to university and while we were still at school. Um, I don't think they should have let us in, actually, now that I think about it. But um, it was a good one. 1991 itself, it was a funny time for music. It was the end of something, it was the beginning of something else. It was a kind of nothing period. Going back, and particularly this album I'm going to look at as well, there's no thread running through it whatsoever. No. In fact, I found a thing that I wrote on the blog about 1991, and it says, um, so here I am scanning through a list of 1991's top 100 selling singles, and boy, does it make for some grim reading. It appears to have been a rather sex-obsessed, ravey, novelty, reissue period in pop, during which Hale and Pace, Trout's Pet Shop Boys, and Madonna, old Madonna, Crazy For You, outsold new Madonna. Mm. So it was a weird time. However, having said that, there are some absolute gems. And I've got a great fondness for that 90, 91, 92 period because it was before things, I think, became particularly tribal as the decade went on. Yes, aha. Uh-huh. Pop was tribal and then Live Aid happened and everybody got on. And then in sort of mid-90s, it all went tribal again with Blur and Oasis and it was fun again. It was like yeah. Spandau Bali versus Duran Duran or something. It was, it was all that again. Watching back again, these old Top of the Pops, and you can see those would-be bands that were thinking they were going to be the next big thing. They usually had long hair. They usually were, had somebody on decks at the back. They usually had oh, yeah. lots of kind of <laughs> spray-painted clothes and lots mm-hmm. of hair. And they obviously thought they were going to be the next big thing, and then it just died. I know. It was, like, it was a really big one-hit wonder, sort of short-lived yeah. career, short attention span period for some reason. Yeah. I don't know whether it's a turn-of-the-decade thing or what but it's like pop didn't quite make up its mind yeah but in some ways the album we're going to look at today absolutely kind of (laughs) your description there tv film tie-ins reissues chewing uh, gum ads chewing gum ads comedy records and novelty dance records (laughs) (laughs) it's not much of a sales pitch is it no but there are some stone cold classics in here (laughs) 
19. 34 massive tracks with the stunning Olita Adams, Robert Palmer, Seal, Stevie B, Free, and Chris Rhea. 34 top chart hits, including six number ones. Now, that's what I call music. March 1991, and we are looking at now 19. It obviously made number one on the compilation album charts because oh, they'd been outlawed the yeah. by then oh, yeah. and because they weren't real albums, obviously. I have got a memory from somewhere. I'm going to probably call on Michael Mulligan at some point because he knows everything about everything, pop-wise, that this was the lowest selling now of the series. Do you surprise me? <laughs> to date. Now, up to this point as well, this was the most number of tracks on a now album, 34. Oh, and the cover is also probably the worst in the whole oh, series, is it not? It's yeah. made to look like a dance compilation or something, isn't it? Really? It is. And I, and I wonder if this is off the back of 1990 and there have been the Deep Heat albums and there have been all those kind of comps that had come out, yeah, basically. Yeah, spot on. Purple and yellow. Mm. Always a cream egg. Always goes well, to be honest. It's one of the, the years when there was only two numbered nows. Mm. Because from, I think, 1993 onwards, we've got the pattern we've now got. And that's interesting, because if you look at this and now 20, there's huge gaps. Yes, uh-huh. Although there was a plug gap in the middle, now down to 91, which is a bit of that's a That's probably gap. where one of my missing songs is to be found, actually. Ah, it probably is. It. So it's interesting because <laughs> we always like to find out what's missing. But all this contextualises the album quite well. And I am going to pull on your Pop Void knowledge later on because I want to Sweet. know some of your 1991 Pop Void moments. Oh, what a year it could have been if oh, things had been on it. It could have been. So we've decided it was a strange year, it was an odd year, and this is probably an interesting slash odd no album. <laughs> so let's go straight to the beginning then. And straight off the back, one of those up and coming bands of the 90s, <laughs> it's The Clash. Should I stay or should I go? Well, I mean, like aliens visiting Earth and what's a snapshot of the year 1991. They're going to get really confused, aren't they? Because I mean, honestly, why lead with, I mean, I know it was number one and everything again because of the Levi's advert. Yeah. But leading with it, it just doesn't, doesn't bode well for the year if that's your, your starting track for the biggest no. selling compilation. What is there to say about it? I know. In regards um, to 91. It's sold a lot of jeans. It sold a lot of jeans. There's probably at least an, half a dozen other tracks in this album that could have kicked off side one and said 1991 a lot more, to be honest. That's the interesting element of this here. Um, for me, what was interesting as well is The Clash, you know, playing with the man here and we're saying, you can have a track. Uh -huh. Clash never did Top of the Pops. Clash never did compilation albums. By all accounts, Mick Jones thought Levi's were cool enough and wouldn't tarnish the reputation. And presumably would add a very large amount to his um, bank balance. Yeah, well, exactly. So, yeah. exactly. No to harm to him for that. Popped up again in Stranger Things rather significantly as of well. Of course. And, and here we are again living in a time where being featured in, on television can get you to number one in the charts. So I know, it's, I know. Um, um, history repeating. There's a missing question mark on that, though. So there is. I'm just, just pointing this out. That's all. These things bother me. Um, there's another spelling mistake later on, but we'll come to that. Or is it a spell? We'll see. We'll see. Oh, he's looking now. Oh, there is. I know exactly what would you mean. Um, she's a woman. Uh, Spitty so, Politti, brackets featuring Shabba Ranks. I did not know this was a Beatles song until last week. Did you not? No, I had no idea. I mean, you wouldn't guess it from listening to the record. I'm not a Beatles hand. They say in Scotland. The main thing, I quite like this. I don't know why it's on the compilation, to be honest, because mm. it's not their finest hour. It wasn't a big hit, was it? 20? 20. Um, but it did give us that amazing bam-ba-ding um, thing that I loved in that true. record. It's the most memorable part of the record. It's a, it's a curate's egg of a record, isn't it? 
Well, I love Green Gartside. He's fabulous. I do too. And Oh Patty is my favourite um, just... record. I but love it. When you look at the picture in the album, which is always great fun, you, you watch the video back, it looks like somebody's kind of basically ran him through a 1991 machine and he's come out looking, what on earth am I dressed like? And oh. he's in a video with Shabba Ranks and it just looks out of place. And I, I mean, it, it was a standalone single. <laughs> it kind of just arrived from nowhere. Yeah. I, just, I was trying to think what it wasn't, what where where it came from, but it just there was no reason for it to exist, but it did. How it ended up being the second track is um, I beyond know. me. I don't know. Sometimes there were things that they thought were going to be bigger than they were, and the track listing was finalised before it had finished yeah. its chart run, and you that see, ended up causing problems. That's a whole podcast episode in itself, though, Niall, because uh-huh. that kind of <laughs> went when now got it wrong. Um, and they don't do it very often, but but there are some absolute stonkers. Oh yeah, those number fifty sixes. Invariably, I will love. We love you, Green. Um, but yeah. we do at ageless Green Gart side. I find. I don't know how he does it, but oh, I don't know what he's what he's using. But can we get a bottle, please? Bonafide classic alert. Yeah, absolutely. And also, what I would consider to be the only version of this, which is that bootleg mix. Oh, I'm going to differ with you there. Oh, I love it. The, the original, original version yeah, yes. from 1986, I adore. You can't almost, I found it on YouTube again the other day. And apparently it was originally recorded for a fitness video on a, about a man's um, weight loss journey. That was the purpose of the song. Really? Recorded, yeah. And this was the song that accompanied it. And somehow it's become... A hymn, almost these it's, days. Um, it is. <laughs> so, bit history on this. So, it was Simon Harris, brackets bass. How low can you go? Had originally licensed it in '86. Ah. That's what that's, that's going back to there. And then it creeps up in 1989 as part of a diva and Paul Simpson's musical Freedom track. Um, but just the vocals. So obviously somebody had heard it and popped that in. So if you go back to Now Dance '89, kids, you'll get that on there. And then you've got this a cappella, Candy Starting. Candy Staten? Candy Staten? I never really know. Staten? I, I always say Staten as in Staten Island, but I could be wrong. Uh, and Frankie Knuckles, you love, and boom, we are there. And it's number four. It's just ageless, this record. It just keeps speaking to every generation. I know. Now and Dance, despite their own kind of dance break-off albums, often had a kind of strange relationship. They were often slotted between other things as almost kind of, we're not sure where these fit. I always wonder who compiled them. Was mm. it just the men in suits, or did they, did they actually speak to the young people? Up to this point, it was actually Abram was still very much the man who was who was compiling. He compiled mm. them from I think from kind of now two onwards. The sequencing is always fascinating because well, it used to be like the, the dancey stuff was always like to work like side three or something. That was where the sort of that's right stuff went. But seems that's to have right. been abandoned but here. You can you can see EMI and Virgin here beginning to kind of think right. We don't really know what the pop landscape's looking like here, so we might have to shuffle some of this stuff up because <laughs> it looks it looks like it's quite popular this dance music thing, um, <laughs> and kind of move it along. So, but we have got a run of dance. So, so let's we do. Let's, let's push on. And this one always confused me. It claims to be live on the rec- on the sleeve, but is it actually live from Transcentral or whatever it was? No. Or was that just a live. gimmick? It's not live. It's as live as those James' last albums where there's nobody there. Um, what? <laughs> I know, but well, I believe. I, would, I was told. Um, but no, I, th- I think this was very much brought in crowd, to be honest. Yeah, but you know ha- what? It works for me. It certainly does. I mean, I mean, what's 
to say about the KLF other than just completely awesome. And welcome back to streaming, or welcome yes. to streaming. It's finally all on there. There's nothing more 1991 than this, I think. Probably. No. What was your favourite KLF track? Oh, God, of course it was um, Justified and Ancient. It's just <laughs> got that extra level of camp added in. Um, and I love that they suckered Tammy Winnett into doing it. I, God knows, did she understand what she was getting herself into? And like when yep. she arrived on the set for that video, did she think, Tammy, what have you done? <laughs> I don't know. But it's just an absolute, like sometimes when you drafted a diva or, or, you know, like a legend on your record, it's just too much. But it just completely bloody worked. Um, should have been a Christmas number one. It should have been a Christmas, that one. Christmas number one. It should have been. It's, it's when she. It's when you're watching the video and she's great. She's so into it and she's I giving it all the all the hand actions. And someone started screaming, "Turn up the strobe!" And you just think, you I see suspect, Bill Drummond going, "This is brilliant." I suspect she was heavily medicated. But I don't know. <laughs> Quite probably, but. Um, <laughs> Let's say props to P.P. Arnold on this one because um, she's she's on there as well. Got to number five in America, this. Did you know that? He didn't have any other proper hits there. I don't like, think so. I don't oh. think so. But I, I just, I, you know, can imagine American FM jocks. It's <laughs> a KLF. Uh, do you know, I just... And, uh, what? Maybe it got played on Nashville radio because of the Tannic connection. Who knows? <laughs> I'd love I, to know. To me... KLF is probably the most 1991 thing because it's it's everything and nothing. Uh-huh. And they were so proper rock and roll, like burning money and doing all these stunts and then just going away. I thought it was yeah. brilliant. Going away, actually, and not telling anyone you're doing it is brilliant. Abbott yeah. did it for the longest time. I think it's one of the best things you can do in pop is just leave the party without telling anyone. I want to talk about the next track, which is CNC Music Factory. We spoke before in this podcast about how Americans sometimes get dance really right and sometimes don't get it right. And I don't know about this. I mean, it, again, it's a classic. You hear it all the time. But it, I, I don't know. What's your thoughts on American dance music? This period, for some reason, I associate it all with the movie Sister Act. And it can't all be in that movie. But there or Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. I'm not quite sure which one. But that, because they did Aretha's version of, oh, what was um, it? Um, a Deeper did, Love. A Deeper Love, yeah. Um, yeah, and that is not the same sort of production style. I just remember lots of harem pants going past and people in le- and leggings and everything being really super fast and exhausting. I mean, if this came on in the club at the time, I would walk off the dance floor because I just can't go that fast. That's what it is. Sometimes American dance hits of this type, they just sound like workout records. Do you yes. know and it's uh-huh. whereas you know, and it's maybe something about the BPMs or something, or it's not four to the floor enough for me. And I mean, let's face it, some of the of the the world's finest remixers and producers are American: Frankie Knuckles, David Morales, oh, yeah. Shep Pettibone, all these people. Ah, uh, Shep. I will say, uh, Tavilla and Cole, they did the remix of "Black or White" of Michael Jackson. Mm. Oh, I love and love that. I still yeah. play that to this day. Yeah. Um, so much respect to them. This was just a little too energetic for me. <laughs> yeah, what was no. it, number three in the charts? It was a biggie. Number three, number one in America. All those workouts. I want to give you devotion. Nomad, I want to give you devotion. Back on track. I loved this. I loved this. I want to give you devotion. This is when I thought, yeah, I am a clubber. Vocal on it, but it's um thingy from Hobie City. It's, yeah. Sharon G. Clark. Absolutely brilliant. Am I right in thinking he was called Nomad because his name was Demon? And it was. Demon it, backwards. It was Demon backwards, yeah. Do you know who his pal was? It was a guy called no. Steve McCutcheon. Martin relation? No, no. no. <laughs> that, that'd be a better story, actually. I would, no. I would go there first, wouldn't I? 
Steve, um, he he went on to become undercover. Oh my God! No Baker Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then oh. went on to basically produce. Just Google him. He went on to produce pretty much everything in the twenty first century. Um, this is another record that sounds live and isn't. Ah, oh, this record is like, oh yeah, I'm a bit of a raver after all. But <laughs> that for rave for me was just this one record. I think I remember buying the seven inch of this in Virgin on Argyle Street in Glasgow and being dead pleased myself. Oh yeah, you're like buying into the counterculture. <laughs> <laughs> I know. when it was already so, at number two in the chart it was already number two as well so yeah uh, held off the number one by the simpsons oh there we go now how do you follow a hit like unbelievable you don't that's the answer to this one unbelievable i was in love with and i went straight out and bought schubert dick when it came out on mm. set obviously and then i realized that sadly the rest of the album was utter bobbins and and like i feel like this single got in the top 10 Purely because people thought it was going to be good and then they realised very quickly that it wasn't and that was kind of it for ENF, wasn't it? Yeah, I've actually got nothing else written down. No. <laughs> to be honest. I just, I, have, I always have this theory that sometimes a band makes their one perfect record and it comes out straight away and you don't need anything else by them after that. Nope. And it's unfortunate, um, especially if you continue to make good records, but... I know, but EMF, but EMF didn't. Sadly. Yeah, yeah, so, and there we go. In Your Face... <laughs> By 808 State. Um, this is another one that's got 1991 written all over it. I did buy an 808 State single, which is Pacific, I think. But this was um, a bit too 808 Statey for me at the time. Didn't really quite get it. And I, I listened to it again this week and I, I still don't get it. So I'm, I'm really never going to. It's one of those ones that's got those annoying sort of vocal samples on it from some sort of um, mm. lecture or something. And I keep wanting to go, this is a journey into sound, which of course isn't <laughs> on this one, but that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. So listening back to it, just, I know that's not the theme to the word, but it's, it is the theme to the word, but it's not the theme. Oh to God. The yeah. Word. Yeah. Friday nights, Teddy Christian, etc., etc. It's very confrontational in your face. Uh-huh. It is. It's very Manchester though, that, isn't it? <laughs> I know. It's, it, it, yeah. It's it people from Scotland. Uh, exactly. So, and right. So we round off, um, well, if, if we're on cassette, the end of side one, uh, with, um, again, wow, <laughs> how do you begin to, to, to talk about Unfinished Sympathy by... Well, they're called Massive here. Well, remember, because um, they weren't allowed to be called Massive Attack because of the Gulf War, lest the word attack distress people, I guess. And I'm sure there are probably, well, there will be singles and albums around there with just the word Massive written on it. Oh, yeah, I, I had the, the 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 single of it that just said Massive. Boy, I wish I'd kept it. Yes. Um, but it was literally, I think, just for this one single wasn't it yeah 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 i don't know if the war was finished i don't know if they contributed to the end of the war move things forward i don't know i I like to think that they did (laughs) i think so to be honest sharon nelson uh what a voice um we will come back to the gulf war later of course won't we in this this particular compilation um but like this is obviously the first i think absolute stone cold classic and probably the the one track on this now that you would you would put in a time capsule and keep forever yeah. Um, is, is this one. It's just perfection from start to finish. There isn't a thing you would change about it. To me, it doesn't sound like it's 1991. It doesn't sound like it's from any time. It's just its own record and it can't be improved upon. That being said, I do like the Tina Turner version. I haven't heard the Tina Turner version. Trevor Horn produced um, from the Wildest Dreams album. Oh, right. Really polished, but really good. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. Oh, yeah. Well done, UK buying public number 13. Once again, showing our amazing taste uh, um, in, a, in a year where Hail and Pace had one of the biggest sounding I, I know. I just have a memory of listening to Blue Lines all the way through that summer 
1991. It was the, um, if you were a student anywhere, I imagine, but uh, Glasgow United, just everybody had blue lines. FOP was just like wall to wall with it. Everybody had a poster of it. It was just everywhere, and rightly so. Right, let's flip over. After. Um, MC Hammer, pray. Um, what do we have after that? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. Oh. I mean, I mean, by all accounts, a lovely man. Not very good with his taxis, I hear. But, um, <laughs> and, and again, harem pants. So it's awful. Let's be honest. It's, it's awful. Absolutely. And even the Dubs, with Dubs Cry sample cannot rescue this one. You go from You Can't Touch This, which actually I'm going to say publicly as well. I'm not a big fan of. I know it's, when it was there, it does what it does. And then, have you seen her? He did that. Oh, God. Uh, which is pretty dreadful. Oh, I'd successfully eradicated that from my mind. Thanks. <laughs> so I brought that one back. And then this. Oh, I will give a shout out to one of my best friends from school who went to see MC Hammer and caught MC Hammer's towel. That's that's a lovely story. <laughs> I hope, I hope they still have it to this day. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I don't know if actually even anybody fought them for it. I think it was like, <laughs> yeah, that's yours, mate. You're fine. Uh, next up, GLAD, Kim Appleby. Oh, do you know what? I really wanted to go back to this and go, oh, this is great. Sadly, it's not stood <laughs> the test of time particularly well. I would say that Don't Worry has her first single, the whole GLAD thing, good loving and devotion. It's all just like, how can we make this fit? Um, it's not great. Is she still with Ken from Out of Bros? Craig from Out of Bros? They were a couple. They were a couple. And I think he yeah. co-wrote this as well. Um, well. But I don't know if they, they may be. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Listeners, help us out on that one. <laughs> please. Is Ken, is Ken still with Kim? Yes, um, I have. We need, we need to know about Ken's marital status, please. Let's hope so, um, to be honest. But, yeah, not good. Sadly. It's not. It's not. And, and, and again, although I did go back and check out, she's got a wonderful hat on in the single cover. Really big hat. But Always um, known for the hats, the Applebee's, the weather. That's, that's, that's when you know. Number 10 in the charts... There we go, to be honest. Uh, okay, let's step back. It's Kylie. Right. Well, I mean, there's a strong argument for me for the opening, like, five seconds of this being the most exciting in all of pop. The start of what do I have to do the single version. Single version has to just be. so exciting. It's just... I had it at my wedding. Um, I'm so obsessed with this record. It's certainly more top three of my Kylie records. Everything that Kylie was doing at this point in time was working. The look, the the, the records, the remixes. And of course, it ended up being one of our smallest hits to date because that's the British public for you. It is. Thank Shocked you again. and this made six. This is the imperial phase for me uh-huh. anyway, from Better the Devil You Know, Step Back in Time. This was supposed to be single two. Was it now? And I don't know why they went with Step Back in Time because I, if they'd gone with this and then Shocked, the whole world uh-huh. might just have imploded. yeah. And shocked remains the the only rap that I can do to this day, word for word. I'm not going to do it now, oh. but uh, it's one of the the <laughs> <laughs> um, that just that whole period of Kylie is just absolute pop perfection at the height of her powers. And it really annoyed me that they regressed her after that yeah. and put her back in cover version mode. And um, but that whole 1990-91 Kylie period is ultimate Kylie period. There's a 12 inch mix of it as well possibly called the pumping mix no g Um, it's the the pumping mix yeah which shamelessly steals from together hardcore uproar and basically the whole structure of it which is pretty good as well i have to say i love it 
every single level. Absolutely marvellous. Number six, well done, UK public. Five better songs in the chart that week. I doubt it. Mm-hmm. There we go. And in typical now style, we take an absolute 180 turn and it's Hail and Pace and the Stonkers. All we can say about this is to applaud the, the generosity of the British public and their commitment to the, the causes that call it relief funds. Yes, yes. Um, and, and, and say no more about it. If we wanted a, a weird state called Chaz and Dave hybrid from Britain's um, least funny comedians, then that, that's what we got. And it's featuring Brian May, Nick Lowe, Dave Gilmer from Pink Floyd, Tony Iommi, Cozy Powell, and Roger Taylor. Collectively that, known as the Stonkers. I mean, this doesn't make it any better, but I, I am going to... On the album sleeve, there's an asterisk next to, to it, which if you go to the bottom on the back of the record, it says, all royalties to comic relief. And as you say, that's very honourable. However, <laughs> it's not so much having a go at the, um, the, uh, the whole circumstance, it's the fact that it's just a rotten record. Ah, uh-huh. Yes. And it had a Victoria Wood on the double A side. Yeah. Or was it a double A side? Well, I rewatched th- that today, but she does an effective Pet Shop Boys parody for 20 seconds, which is really good. She, it's King's Cross, weirdly, that she parodies. Very odd. And again, UK Public, the 22nd best selling single of the year. <laughs> well, I'm sure it went, uh, a lot of people benefited from it. So well, well actually, done, Hail and Pace. Well done, Hail and Pace. Uh, still working today, I'm sure. Not on this album, though. It was, it was gazumped by Chesney Hawks. So. All good, Chesney, thank you. We're, we're back in American dance territory uh, with two in a room. That's number two in a room. Yes. And wiggle it. To be fair, not as bad as I remembered, actually. Uh, it's, it's quite good until it gets to the wiggle it just a little bit. bit. I was quite enjoying it up until that point. But again, for, I don't know, a, little, a white boy from Scotland, it didn't resonate particularly with me. Um, and I don't think it was intended to. Did it make number three? Goodness number me. three. I mean, to be honest, to me, I would put this in the same box as something like the Cha Cha Slide, or uh-huh. it's just a kind of silly wedding. Chuck it on. Yeah, uncles dancing with nieces like, type record. Like the slosh for Americans, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an American slosh. <laughs> Is that a dance to do on street? Are we going to have to explain the slosh? Do you not oh, do the slosh? The Maybe slosh. A West Coast thing. Um, it will take too long to explain the slosh. It's something a lot of Scottish people do at their weddings. It's a bit like you sit down on the floor and roll. So like, yeah, yeah, um, and it's it's Daniel Boone, Beautiful Sunday, isn't it? Aha. Uh-huh. Anybody south of. Carlisle. Um, we apologise. We, we do apologise. There will be subtitles on this episode. Moving moving swiftly on, how do you follow, etc, etc. <laughs> Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, follows it up with Play That Funky Music. Well, what to say about Vanilla Ice? Um, <laughs> he made the most of his moment in the sun and he got to be in Madonna's sex book. So, yep. you know, he's done very well. I mean, the record is absolutely terrible and i don't even think he would deny that no i'll be honest when i went back to listen to this album again and and, and i usually quite religiously follow the album I, I i couldn't even listen to this i got 20 seconds i thought no i know how this ends i don't need to see this film anymore <laughs> I, I know how this is going to end more interestingly when i was doing a bit of research um if you type in vanilla into the official charts company the first thing you get is vanilla and you remember Vanilla's track. No way, no way. Yeah. Is that them? Yeah. Oh God, that was awful. That was Manamana. That was pretty. That's right. As well. No so, way, no way. So basically, it, there's not enough vanillas in the official chart company. We need to get more vanilla tracks in there to eradicate right. these rubbish records. We've got Jesus Loves You, which, which is Boy George. I bloody love this. I really do. 
Yeah. Um, I bought this, and it's one. Of, it's actually one of the ones on this that I consider a stone cold classic. I think yeah. it's deserved far better than its number twenty seven. Twenty seven. Again, I don't know. Was was he still on? Was he on EMI Virgin at this point? I don't know. It seems an odd thing to include when it wasn't that big and he wasn't at its most popular period. And if I remember right, the reason it's credited to Jesus Loves You is they didn't want it going out under the Boy George name for some That's reason. Right. I think that and Generations of Love are two of his best songs, period. Absolutely brilliant. That's why this always is slightly in the shadow for me, because for me, Generations of Love, I think, is one of the best things Boy George has ever done. And it's just, mm. and you've got MC Kinky Definitely. on there, and it's just... Fabulous. It sounds brilliant. As far as side two goes, this is a proper highlight. Uh, but it's, yes. yeah, it's. Do I um, remember rightly that MC Kinky was Joan Collins's daughter? Or am I making that up? She's someone's daughter. Oh, let's go with that one. That's a good one. It let's does just sound. Just, let's just repeat that as fact. When I was going back to Now Dance 91, Easy Posse are on there. And they were they were friends with Boy George. And yes, maybe it's Easy Posse who had a daughter. Yeah, fe- to well, no, 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 no. We're getting closer to the truth now. Oh, because on here, Easy Posse featuring Tara Newley. Oh, that Tara Newley. That's her. Yes, Auntie Newley. She's Auntie Newley and Joan Collins' daughter. That's right. That's so we're right. so we're close. But we're do you know close. what? Let's just pull MC Kinky into this story as well. Works for me. Why not? <laughs> so, but yes, no. And again, actually, they re-released Generations of Love after this, and it didn't even make the top four. It's just is it no. I remember I it had like thirty nine at some point, or, uh, or it was the, or yeah, it was round about there, which is yeah. just absolutely. It shocking. would have been on to the bot void if it hadn't made the top yeah. four. But um, let's say number two in Austria. Do you know what the Austrians have great taste? Always said that, to be honest. Right <laughs> here's my spelling mistake coming up next. It's Enigma Sadness Part One. Mm-hmm. Why no. do you think that's spelled? How are they spelling it? Well, on they're the spelling it sadness. Label? They're spelling. Oh, right. No, it should have an e as in Marquis de Sad. Exactly. That's what it should have. That's the point. So I don't know why somebody on the moral printing department at EMI <laughs> Virgin have sometimes said we can't possibly have this filth thrown at the pop kids. We're changing this to sadness. But yeah, it was sadness as in the Marquis de Sad. Um, we ignited um, our love of pan pipes, I suppose, and Gregorian chanting. That was it. Sandra was the vocalist on this, uh, Michael Cretti's wife. And she, gay clubbers of a certain vintage will remember, was responsible for the most amazing high energy version of Everlasting Love that you would hear on any Saturday night in any provincial gay club in any town in Britain every week from like 1986 to 1989. Um, and so Sandra has a spot in my heart. And yet here she is portraying an entirely different side than this record. And, and yeah, I loved it at the time. I did buy it. I still rate it now. It's very wispy, but I like it. It's very 91. It speaks to me of that time more than a lot of things on this album do. Yeah, and it spawned that in the next track, actually, on the You Praise, which we'll, we'll come to. Mm. It then kind of spawned this kind of compilation culture as well of, you know, oh, kind of didn't it just... chill-out culture and all this uh-huh. kind of stuff, because we were also stressed in 1991, do you know? Um, and, 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 and it gave record companies that chance to pull in the likes of Mike Oldfield and... Albatross by Fleetwood Mac and uh-huh. to these kind of chill out albums with balloons on the cover, <laughs> and they and they flogged that horse until they absolutely killed it, yeah. and we've never heard from that type of music again. So, um, because next to that is only you in praise, which is which is also quite interesting. Didn't get to number number four, but it's it's of that same type of thing. However, do you know who this is? Of course, you know who this is. Miriam Stockley, um, Britain's yeah. best backing singer. Yeah, yeah. The man behind Enigma, eh, sorry, the man behind 
praise, I'm saying I've got my enigmas and my praises all mixed <laughs> up, was Richard Burgess, who was the guy behind Landscape, Einstein and Gogo. <gasps> I love that record. Yeah. It's a lot better than Only You by Praise, I have to better. say. I had forgotten this entirely. And I, I even I'd listened to it earlier today and I've kind of forgotten it again. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure why it resonated so strongly with the British public. It's I mean, I mean it's lovely for Miriam Stockley to have had a top ten hit. What a shame she didn't actually get a featuring credit. Because mm. I love it when backing singers get a, a big hit. I always wanted um Claudia Fontaine to have a big hit. She did have one with the Beatmasters, but all those really good backing singers I know. you'd see on all your favourite records. I loved it when they got the Roman in the sun. Yeah. I realised I forgot to talk about what I was doing culturally in 1991. I was watching Twin Peaks every week. Oh, I was right. obsessed. It was on every week in the spring of 91 on BBC Two. And um, we would have viewing clubs of it in our university, all the residents, mm. and I would post recaps on my door. I mean, what? I wonder anybody spoke to me. <laughs> So we are on to our second volume of Now 19, yes. um, cassette two, record two, CD two, if that was your thing. And we kick off with Get Here by Alita Adams. In for the Gulf War, the montage clips of the war, wasn't it? That's why it was a hit. Yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, pretty faultless. I absolutely love Alita Adams' voice. Um, I was one of the people who bought her Rhythm of Life album. I loved it. I loved the Brenda Russell original at mm. the time, but this, I think, it's the definitive version, isn't it? I think so. It's one of those those times when the cover becomes bigger. Um, mm-hmm. And it was massive hit both sides of the Atlantic. Number five uh, on both sides. I love the whole Leet Adams story, though. She was like a lounge singer in Vegas or somewhere and yeah. Roland sort of wandered in. And, and just said, you're my star. And But that was back in 1985. And uh, the Tears for Fear Seeds of Love album was a, an epic to get made. But for them to bring her on board for four years... Mm-hmm. And then to nurture that through forwards, you know. And, you know, we're talking earlier about compilation albums, you know, those kind of ethereal compilation albums. There was a proper glut of those female singer-songwriter compilation oh, yes, uh-huh. albums as well. What were they called? The Gentle Touch. No, that was Jill Gascoigne's series. Um, the Female Touch. Yeah. Um, all, yeah. There was, all of them coming around Mother's There was dreams, loads you know? of them, which kind of gave way for your Tasman Archers and your... Uh, all <gasps> Don't of get those. me started on Tasman Archer. Oh. And Elite Adams was there. There was quite a lot of those singer-songwriter types around. I'm, I'm totally generalising now, but, you know, um, <laughs> I'm thinking now Beverly Craven. Oh, Beverly Craven, promise me. Julia Fordham and all, all the... And actually, you know, and you could see somebody in the marketing going, we can make a good uh-huh. album out of this one. Um, but yes... Well, Julia uh, Fordham was good. Happy Ever After was Great, you don't hear that much either. Next to that, we have Back, Back, Back. Oof. It's Rick Astley. I guess in which Rick becomes a frowning concept and grows his hair. It was, was, did anybody want this version of Rick? I don't know. I don't think we did. It was very credible, wasn't it? And the earthly dull. Do you know why he was credible? He had long hair. Exactly. And he, he has since seen sense, thankfully, and reverted to oh, yeah. classic Rick mode. And is a lot more entertaining as a result. So yeah. I think grow your hair, become more dull in pop terms, anyway. I believe, catch me out here, listeners, if I'm wrong here, I don't think I am. This <laughs> is Rick's only appearance on a numbered now album to date. Why would that be? Because he was on um, a CBS style. Oh, of course. Yeah. Company. 
because at this point his album were slipping down the dumper a wee bit they said yeah you can have it but mm-hmm. never going to give you up sits a, a breast side one hit seven so interesting chart fact this song um, because it got to number seven meant that Astley became the first male solo artist to have his first eight singles go to the top ten that seems an amazing feat I would have thought that would have happened far sooner it good was, on you Rick good on you Rick it's probably been gazumped a billion times since then by X Factor people and That's, boy band boys but I'm right in thinking that it was his eighth and last top ten hit was there any more after that no no that's that that's right oh well having to go away and think it all up again which let's face it he did he so. did now next to that proper now territory mercy mercy me slash i want you robert palmer from the album don't explain do explain robert palmer why did you do this <laughs> marvin times two it's stars on 45 marvin style movie, isn't it nothing um, makes my blood run cold than the word more than the word medley there's no place for it. This also was his final top 10 hit. That surprised me because there's a great Robert Palmer song from 1994 called No By Now, which... Oh, yes, I like that. Exactly. He was no. capable of amazing pop record. He was. It's, it's serviceable. It just annoys me, like, you think, oh, these two songs go together. They're both by Marvin Gaye. I'll introduce them to a new audience. Well, no, you don't have to do that. They can just no. find it out from the originals. You're fine, thanks. I think, again, it's, you know, you think of that Robert Palmer as being, you know, someone who was hanging out in Nassau, you know, working with Sly and Robbie, all mm-hmm. of that kind of work. And then it's just kind of slight, ah, do you know what, guys? It's a bit of a shame, to be honest. But um, as we say in Scotland, I'll just leave it, thanks. You're fine. <laughs> Not today. Now, we talked at the very beginning of the episode about TV tie-ins, and we've already had the clash in there. Now we hit an absolute run of, oh, by the way, has anybody watched telly recently? So we start with Time of My Life. I've had the Time of My Life, Bill Medley, Jennifer Warrens. Do you know why this is back on? Because it was on. they showed it on ITV for the first time, didn't they? Literally, it was on TV on Saturday night, and somehow they decided to release it off the back of it. Probably it had been years since it was... In the cinema, it was a big deal then when something showed on TV for the first time. That's and you kind of forget that that you know there was that mm-hmm. three-year gap, four-year gap, and then stuff appeared on the telly, and the British public went bonkers. Yeah. Um, and this is the by popular demand because there was always those people banging on the windows of HMV saying, "I demand <laughs> to have a copy. Please give me a copy of Bill Medley Jennifer Wars on seven inch." And it took it back to number eight. I have a very fond memory of this song. The first time I went to Ibiza and having a massive row with my then partner and storming off along the beach. And I heard this record coming from a German hotel beach party. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go and join in. So I went and danced with these German people, terribly, obviously, because I'm a bad dancer, and just had the best time. And I had a little bit of like schoolboy German from old grade. So I was able to communicate briefly with them, like, I'm Ikoma aus Schottland. Um, I had a lovely time and then went back to the hotel. So um, fond memories of that one for me. <laughs> it's one of these songs now, it's just there. You can't really, well, you probably could criticise it if you wanted to, but it's just there. Bill Medley, Jennifer Warrens. We could criticise that it in no way sounds like the sort of thing you'd hear in a 1950s um, American no. um, holiday camp, but it is, I absolutely do love it. Yeah. I will hear no criticism of it. No. And it's a hits crossover. Listeners, it's a now hits crossover because it was on Ooh. 87 as well. And I know some people are interested in that thing. I am. Um, uh, yeah, no, we've got Bill Medley. You, you, you sit around waiting for Bill Medley and then two come along at once. Uh-huh. Um, and so you've lost that love and feel. I thought originally this was back out because of Top Gun being on telly, but it wasn't. Did they just put it out because Jane Melody had been a hit again and thought, oh, we'll do a follow-up? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Oh, lazy. That is some lazy marketing. <laughs> I mean, you got to admire it. 
And even lazier of us to get squirt and buy it again. I have very fond memories of this track because it takes me back to one of my first parent compilation albums that my mum and dad had, which was called 20 Number Ones. And it was on there, this glorious arcade record. And I remember listening to it growing up and it just sounded like from another planet. It is just, and I will not have a bad word said against it. It's like totally out of context nope, on this I album. agree. But it's just one of the greatest pop songs ever. In my head, the echo on it is always bigger than it sounds now because when I was a little, mm. I think my... I was I would hear my parents' stereo system or grandparents and the echo of it just sounds like you were in a gigantic concert hall and yeah. it's just always had sort of goosebumpy um it's, feeling for me for that reason. It's the type of record that I often imagine in my head as like a pop school where they teach kids how to break pop records and they sit them down and say, This is the structure of a song. Mm-hmm. This is how it works, this is the build, this is the this is the drop, and this is the build again, you know. And it's, uh-huh. it's it is just all there, you know. And uh, I love this period of Phil Spector stuff anyway, when he started to make these real records that pissed everybody off because they were too big and too long and too expensive. Uh-huh. And only the UK got them. That's that's interesting, isn't it? That the British people get these big sort of very emotional things because this one can has the power to make me cry. Mm. within about 10 seconds. All that the sort of reserve British public take to these things so well, it's quite nice, actually. It gives me hope. In 2015, this single was inducted into the National Recording Registry in the Library of Congress for its cultural and historical and aesthetic significance. So does that mean it's preserved for future generations? I guess it must be. When we do eventually, as a planet, implode... Mm -hmm. and then rediscovered (laughs) 40 million years later by some... They will find the Righteous Brothers... It's, I don't know. When I was, it's when like I was a capsule reading, going around in space with like solid gold hits in it or I something. Know. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> I really it, hope so. But it, it then also got me thinking I mean, that's such an American thing. You know, they have this, you know, this Congress uh-huh. of Library Congress. Why don't we have that in Britain? Why don't we have an annual? We're putting records. It's like a Blue Peter Garden. We're putting records in for cultural significance. And this week, it's whatever you know. Oh, I'm glad we do because we are not our our, our, our own worst enemies with that. If you ask the British public to choose, you mean God only knows. It's oh. an Andy Abrams to Eurovision. It's not. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's better that we don't. Moving on. <laughs> Oh, a good one, yes. Crazy by Seal. Anything Trevor Horn is just for me. Trevor Horn is my ultimate producer and he makes perfect records nearly all the time. And and this is one of them. Absolutely um, unique sounding as well. Just like nothing else out there. Can't fault it. Took Trevor Horn two months to make this single. Doesn't surprise me. He's a perfectionist. How long was it? It took them six months to make Left of Own Devices, didn't it? So, I mean... um, yeah, um, and the two months shows it's 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 perfection, but it's not so polished that it hasn't got any um, anything resonant to it. It's 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 a perfect pop record for me. Yeah, right. Oh, here we go. I'm waiting for this. Me too. Um, I love Banderas. I just love Banderas, and this this is one of these. Well, it's not a one hit wonder because they had two hits and a fabulous album as well. But you know, did they have uh, two hits though? Well, did they? Oh, Do you see, count anything outside the top forty as a actually, hit? I don't. Stop the bus because she sells the follow up got to number forty one. Uh huh, and it's on into the pop void classic. See, that doesn't count as a hit for me. It doesn't. It doesn't. All right, so we are calling one hit wonder. Though. <laughs> um, we are. So Banderas. Um, we are talking about Caroline Buckley and Sally Herbert, who both have been part of the Communards as backing musicians. And here they are being pushed heavily in 1991 mm-hmm. as 
<laughs> I feel like they were a priority act. Yeah, well... And I don't know what went wrong. I don't know, because the album has not long been re-released again, right? Yes, uh-huh. absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. May This Be Your Last Sorrow is just um, a stunning song. And, and But This Is Your Life as a calling card. Fantastic, clean, precision, um, exciting pop record. I really love it. It's really sort of sedate in a way as well. But mm. it's, I just loved it. And I love the fact that they looked like a cruet set on the cover. Um, it's <laughs> just it's like, who would have thought of that? They were like my big pop hope for 91. And I was gutted because I had the album. I had a huge, massive um, poster on the wall, like fly poster size poster on the wall of Banderas. They were my big thing. And it just didn't happen. And She Sails was even better. That was the yep. annoying thing. You could see the trajectory. You think, this is, this is a band. Yeah. It, it sounded... Very new, very 90s. It was a fantastic looking concept, the whole thing. Mm. You've got Bernard Sumner on there. You've got Johnny Marr on there. Um, I mean, you know, within a couple of months of this, you've got the electronic album coming out and you've got Get the Message and all that. And actually, mm-hmm. to me, they both sit together. Yeah, and- very much so. My whole memories of that time are um, Banderas and Electronic. Um, I, I saw Electronic at the Barrowlands the best concert and I, I assumed Banderas would be yeah. at a similar level but just it's, they did not catch on with the public yeah we, we prefer to spend our money on uh, well let's look, look at the next song well, let's, <laughs> we have to give our money to Stevie B Stevie B um, because I love you brackets the postman song <sighs> this had been number one in America I think actually through Christmas 1990 because you know that's what you it's need it's one of those really long running ones wasn't it um, it is to the early 90s what nothing's going to change my love for you Clay Medeiros was to the late 80s just utter pants but everybody bought it for some reason what I did find though <laughs> if, you go, if you go on the spot I don't know how I found this this German trans group called Groove Coverage, who are basically Ooh, they, sound, just, they sound cool. Oh, well, they do a cover of it. That's all I'm going to say. German okay, trans it, cover of this song. Is that a banger? It's a banger, isn't it? <laughs> it's certainly much better than Stevie <laughs> B's version anyway. So there we go. <laughs> Listeners to this podcast will know that side four can be a bit of a twilight zone when it comes to now albums. It can be, it can be, uh, it can be stepping over slippery rocks across a, a pond. I think we can call this one a mixed bag. No, this is no. this is quite a mixed bag. So we kick off with Chris Ria and Auberge. Is that how you say it? I, I would like to thank Chris Ria for helping me know exactly what to get my dad every Christmas for a, a few years <laughs> in the late 80s and early 90s. And do you know what? I've got a lot of time for Chris Ria. I yeah. don't have a lot of time for auberge. No. And uh, th- there's been that slight kind of renaissance of tracks like Josephine, which is a total banger. And On the Beach always sounds mm. pretty decent in the summer and various things like that. And I'll tell you this, again. I went to Greece for a holidays this summer. All I heard everywhere I went was remixes of Chris Rhea. Yeah. It's a different person every year when you go. Um, the year before, uh, before the pandemic, it was Simply Red was getting the treatment. Um, but this year, Chris Rhea, it's it's not a hit single, is it, Auberge? It's, it's not, a, it's not. And I, I still don't know what Auberge is. Is it a colour? Is it a, a vegetable? Is it, is it a car? It's probably oh. a car if it's Chris Rhea. But. Is, it, is it maybe a descriptive adjective for something Aubergine-like? Possibly. I don't Shall know. I mean, I've, I can look it up live like, and see what it means. I've met say. someone, they have slight characteristics of Aubergeness. Of note, Carol Kenyon. 
i.e. Temptation Heaven 17, Carol Kenyon. Oh, of course. Things back in vocals on this. It was an inner tavern, there you are. We're going oh, down right. the Aubers tonight, Ian, there you are. Oh, well, that's fine. Well, we're getting some pork scratchings at the Aubers. <laughs> there we go. Scampy fries for me, please. Next up, reissue time. Um, mm-hmm. Chris Isaac, Blue Hotel, or as it's known in the Chris Isaac fan club, Muho. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's the first and last time I'm ever going to sing on this podcast, by the way. Uh, um, so yeah, reissued after Wicked Game, basically. Well, of the of the two Chrissies on this compilation, he is the the most um, beautiful. I will say that. Um, I once I was walking up Socky Hall Street in the nineties, and Chris Isaac happened to walk past. He must no be a concert, and he's the most beautiful man who ever lived, and with the best hair of anybody who ever lived. So, um, and Blue Hotel is a great record. Um, I was obviously huge with Chris Isaac because um, there was a whole David Lynch connection yeah. who I was obsessed with. So um, is it deserving of its place on here? Probably not. No, but it's not. It's, it's, it's not. not really. But. It's not. Continuing the recover, uh, the reissues even, let's um, get on a bus in the Midwest, pass around some chewing gum. And uh, it's, I, can't, I mean, you can't talk about all right now by free. It's just there. Well, I prefer the Pepsi and Shirley original, to be honest. <laughs> I was going to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I hate this record. I always have. I, I hate chewing gum, so there's nothing here for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, rock fans. I've just never liked it. Oh, dear. And the advert's well cheesy as oh, well. Yes. There we go. Number eight. Uh, right. In excess, disappear. Legitimately, my absolute favourite in excess record of all time. I oh, yeah. love Disappear. How it only got to number 21 is beyond me. I just think it is brilliant. I like when in excess go off piste. Me too. Like, yeah, this and it's it's almost like you know that kind of pop sensibility nodding a wink. Um mm-hmm. and it's, it's a brilliant song. And it's really weirdly structured or differently structured mm. to ordinary pop songs, and it just um, just absolutely slams in places where it should and it just slaps you in the face and I just I just love it um, number 21 well, we're doing a run of, of, of the mid-twenties coming up now aren't we? I know well actually next to that is and again I'm going to say this my favourite Belinda Carlyle song do you know what it's a lot of people's favourite Belinda Carlyle song and it's certainly in my top five I am a huge Belinda fan like, like absolute Belinda is one of my all-time favourites. I just think she's the best pop star. Yeah. Um, and Summer Rain is 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 just one of those songs that it's it's I don't know how to describe it. It is um it's better than all the elements in it together. It just like everything about it and Belinda most of all just makes it heartbreaking and inspiring and I just love it. I do know this was the sixth release yes aha uh-huh. of Runaway Horses which is like bonkers to be honest yes still worked but um yeah it's just fabulous i'm going to say this as well <laughs> I, I watch the video well belinda always looks gorgeous and she's got great hair in that video. Uh-huh. her runaway horses period hair um was absolute best i don't know whether they used some sort of argan oil you know i'm not a hairdresser but <laughs> it just had <laughs> it just a, sits pearl and a shine to it that just <laughs> it just sits on the shoulders uh-huh. perfectly yeah, but- uh-huh. Here, the Runaway Horses album was absolutely brilliant. This song, I think, was written by Maria Vidal of Body it Rock fame. It was, it and was. And that's a hallmark of quality. But yes, Belinda, the whole um, Runaway Horses campaign was slightly mucked up and they never got around to releasing Valentine as a single. 
which is one of the ones I should probably talk oh, about later. Yeah, okay. The Railway Children, Every Beat of the Heart. Jangly and, and jolly. Yeah. And I get the feeling that they were possibly foisted onto this compilation in exchange for another hit, maybe. Very nice record, lovely. They mm. seem like a lovely bunch of young men. Yeah, It hadn't really stuck in my head, to be honest, other no. than that I liked their name. It's yeah, it's it's a lovely. Well, obviously, anything the Railway Children's a lovely name for a band, and it is jangly guitar. It's not indie, but it's guitar-y, and it's not rocky, but it's a bit yeah. It's um, like Thursday I'm in love rather than Friday I'm in love. It's that sort of jangly. <laughs> Thursday I'm in the queue. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh goodness, um, that's me offending Railway Children and Cure fans all at once. There, I mean, yeah, they they they'd started on Factory Records, so uh huh. Yes, I, I read up on this earlier, and and um, I I knew almost nothing about them before, and I knew nothing about them until I saw this in the. No. It's always in the ninety nine P section. I know, um, and but, and I've no doubt there will be people out there who carry. Oh great God, completely! Love. I bet people got like proposed to to this. It's just got that. If you'd had a moment, like maybe you were kissing in the rain with someone, and this was on, it would be your favorite record of all time. It's lovely. They're only top forty hits, so uh-huh. there we go. Now, next to that is Thunder. First couple of years of the 90s, there was quite a lot of metal around. Mm. There, was, there, was, there was a lot of this, this type of thing. This is a track called Love Walked In. All these bands seem, at the time seemed to have a slightly sort of milady type sounding hit where it was like a, a knight in shining armour performing and they had that sort of mandolin guitar. I, I, I have no interest in it whatsoever. No, this was produced by Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. Goodness me. Who knew? Which one was he again? Was he the short, spiky-haired one? Yeah, um, guitarist, I think, had left by this point um, and was ploughing a furrow in other directions, i.e. thunder. Funnily um, enough, I served John Taylor in, at work the other day. Did Grand you? Grand. He was dead nice. What did he buy? Am I allowed to say? I don't, I don't know. know. Oh, well, loads, well, of cla- loads of classical um, sheet music. Oh, that's very good. Excellent. Yes, aha. Uh-huh. I did my usual thing that I do with celebrities that I pretend I don't know who they are but just give them really good service. So we've reached, <laughs> we've reached the, the ultimate final track of the album. Um, now often, either go one of two ways with the last track on an mm. album. They either go with a kind of, we've ran out of ideas, have that. <laughs> or they go with, here's one of our biggest acts, here's a banger. Yes. So this is a new endo by Queen. And it, it, it's, a, it's a banger. It's, I, it I, is, well, let's face it, it's huge, it's big, it's long. It's long. It entered the UK charts at number one. I remember Simon Bates on Radio One playing this song two times in a row. It was wow. so important. Oh, Simon God, Bates he was self-indulgent, wasn't he? He did like an important statement, and I think he was making a point about all the dance music in the charts, actually. Yes. I think, to be honest. Uh, and this was real music for real people. It's a big song. I don't know where it sits in the Queen canon. I don't know either. I don't think it's, it doesn't feel like it's a beloved song in their no. canon, particularly. I can't hum the tune particularly. No. It felt very, to me at the time, bearing in mind I knew almost nothing about rock or metal, to me it felt like a Led Zeppelin Queen record. It had that yeah. sort of cashmere feel to it. I may be completely, absolutely no, no. talking out of my head. I wasn't a big fan of it. And I do, I like a lot of Queen stuff. Innuendo, it, it felt like a statement, certainly, that they mm. were they were back and they were serious and and um, straight people could buy them quite happily again um, yeah. after all that fuss with the, the wigs and stuff. Um, that's what it felt like to me. You know, first number one in 10 years. So Of note, this is the only track ever to feature 
Hang on, I'm going to get this right here. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> there's, there's too many words in this sentence. The only Queen non-member to have ever played guitar on one of the Queen tracks, and it was Steve Howe from Yes, who plays the oh. lovely flamenco bit in the middle. That's the best is, bit, actually. It is. But, um, yep, we're not going to have a go at Queen because Queen are Queen. Big finish. And I'll just read, actually, the sleeve notes to Now 19 inside say this quite perfectly. It says, in the last 20 years, Queen have sold 80 million records around the world. They're an EMI act, by the way, Queen, in case you didn't know. <laughs> um, in the last 20 years, Queen have sold 80 million records around the world. Innuendo entered the UK chart at number one and so perpetuated the legend. Didn't it drop straight from number one the next week, though, if I remember Yeah, it only stayed for one week. Uh, (laughs) One week, and it was replaced by, he says, scrabbling through his notes, the KLF. That's like a nice changing of the guard there, isn't it? Okay, so we've completed the album. This is the point where we ask guests to say what's missing. Right, um, I do have some thoughts. Um, and some of them may surprise you. Picking from like my sort of pop void ones, so maybe they cross into what should have maybe gone on to 920. I'm not quite sure of the time. But um, the big one for me, um, I don't even think it was released in this country and it should have been Milan Farmer, Deson Chante, the greatest French pop record of all time. Pet Shop Boys played it when they sat in for Simon Bates on Radio yeah. 1 um, and they played it every day. Just the most epic, fabulous French electronic pop record. So that's one. Two, we mentioned them earlier. Um, Pepsi and Shirley, someday, how they ended up having a second album was kind of beyond me. They must have had a two-album deal that they couldn't, Polydor couldn't get out of. But George Michael wrote Someday for them, and it's like a precursor to Too Funky. It is absolutely fantastic, and it's not on streaming or anything. It's, um, you can still get it on YouTube, I think. Could have been, in, the, in a different time, an absolutely massive comeback for them. So that really upset me. Um, what else from 1991? Susanna Hoff's My Side of the Bed. First oh, solo yeah. single. So she did it on Wogan. Gorgeous. It's as good as anything the Bangles ever did. I think that was another number 41. Customer Calls My Affair. Um, oh, yeah. Huge in the clubs, but not in the charts. Oh, um, and follow-up to it was up to Walking on Madison, wasn't it? Walking on um, Madison, which actually, again, reminds me of, and I, I always couple that with Banderas. Is that same kind of... Mm-hmm. Johnny Marr style kind of vibe to it as well. But... Yes, aha, uh-huh. baggy trousers and baseball caps and sweatshirts. That was yeah. that was the, that was the that was the time, wasn't it? And um, one of the best album cover, best album names ever, Electric Landlady. Aha, uh-huh. absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Nothing can stop us at Etienne, nineteen ninety one. I know. I never made the top forty. They remain my favourite band to this day, um, and and that was my introduction to them. As we touched on earlier, there was only two numbered now albums. Now Dance ninety one if you look it up online, actually does fill in some gaps as well, although maybe came later, but you've got things on there like Kathy Dennis, Touch Me. Oh, um, um, It's Too Late by Quartz as well. Yes. Those um, off-kilter off chimes in it were absolutely yeah. brilliant. I'll bring in Ian Wade, previous guest, and Ian has done a wonderful playlist on Spotify called Now 19.5. Yes, and, and and basically what he does is say, well, in a year, in any other year, there, there would have been three nows. What would it have looked like? And I would urge you to go and look at it because he absolutely nails it. And it, it is, it's things like Quartz, it's too late, Omar, there's nothing like this. Oh, now, well, EMI Virgin went a bit off piste, and they released two compilations in 1991 called Awesome, which were kind of single. They actually have almost got the same aesthetic look of now 19. What's the word? Which, Wicked not available or something? Well, yes, exactly. Awesome. Uh, and they look like okay. Saturday morning TV comps. But uh-huh. actually, they, for some reason, were pulling from the same 
pull of tracks, mm. but seem to put them on these these sort of side compilations. But yeah, Ian Wade, Spotify, now 19.5. Yeah. So if you were going to take some tracks from here, and there's no limit to the number of tracks, what would you take? Right. So if I'm if I'm populating my capsule that I'm sending into space of, of solid gold hits, I'm sending unfinished sympathy. I am sending um I'm sending Bow Down Mister, I'm sending Summer Rain and I'm sending Disappear and I am sending Crazy and I am sending one more. What do I have to do, obviously? And how much of a time capsule is this of nineteen ninety one, do you think? Um it's completely all over the place, makes no sense. And a lot of it's forgettable. So as a time capsule of 91, it's perfect, I would say. <laughs> so if we're going to send this time capsule into space, what are you going to write on the side of it then? <laughs> um, do not open. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to have a sticker saying, includes the hit Summer Rain by Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> and that will make people want to open it. <laughs> Niall, thank you so much for joining me here on the Back to Now podcast. Thank you so much, Ian. This has been the, uh, an absolutely brilliant thing to do. Thank you so much for inviting me. So thanks to Niall for joining me on the Poptastic trip back to Now 19. I'm hoping we will see his wonderful Into the Pop Void reactivated very soon. Don't forget to also catch up with Michael Mulligan's Visit to Now 17 and Lucy Bright's Visit to Now 18 for lots of 1990 memories as well. Keep up to date with all the latest Back to Now updates on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Pop Rambler and stay tuned as we celebrate the variously compiled world of pop very soon. Bye.